As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 1. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. 2. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. 3. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. It is the morning of Wednesday, October 4th. That's Jack McMullen and I am Peter Apple. Welcome to the Gist Baseball Show. On this episode, we are going over everything that happened yesterday, day one of the wildcard series. And then on the back half, we're going to preview day two. These podcasts this week, it's going to be a little bit of shorter episodes, right? Because the shelf life, it goes rather quickly. But we still got to talk about all the games and then preview the next day. And it's all brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. And terms and conditions apply. Jack. Before we get into today, show the people on YouTube your background right now. It's electric. But do you like my mustache? First and foremost, this is my. I think, they per, I think they'd prefer the background. This is my. It's a long baseball season, and I'm a little tired. Mustache. Um, also, chose now to vacation. You say, Jack, probably a wrong time to vacation. There's never a right time to vacation. But I'm in Madeira right now which is an island off Portugal. My brother's studying abroad in Lisbon, and he was like, I really want to go to Madeira because that's where Ronaldo's from. This place is amazing. Like the price point is much lower than like the major European cities like Paris or London or anything like that. 
and they call mm-hmm. this Europe's Hawaii. Like yep. we were at mountain peaks. We were off the coastlines. Like there are crazy drives that you got to do. Like there are banana plants right outside my Airbnb. Have you ever heard of Madeira before? I've, I had never heard of it before he came abroad. Yeah, I studied abroad in Florence. Um, I've been there. I've been to Lisbon um, in Portugal, and I'm from Santa Barbara, California, and I felt Portugal was the closest place to home, right? I live in New York now, but lived most of my life in Santa Barbara, so that's why I love Portugal so much, and the food is so good, and it's not expensive. It's one of the best places to go to in Europe. I love this place. Yeah. Nothing but rave reviews about Portugal and then Madeira as well. It was what, 60 euro round trip flight on Ryanair. If if we had these budget airlines like a Ryanair or an EasyJet stateside, I would be quadruple platinum. And you could say, wait, what about Frontier? No. Should we talk baseball now? The way that I was kind of thinking we could structure it is, and, and this may be the way going forward, we go series by series. Game mm-hmm. one recap, game two preview. Game one recap, game two preview. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And the way I introed it, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go series by series, ladies and gentlemen. And let's start with Rays versus Rangers. The big story was that not even 20,000 fans were at Tropicana. The lowest recorded total of fans at a stadium in a playoff game since 1919 as reported by The Athletic. Now, the discourse surrounding that is fascinating to me because it's some people racing to comment section saying, well, it's at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. I mean, what do you mean? What do you want us to do? You know, Tropicana Field is is too far. Are Are we serious? Are we serious? It's game one of the playoffs. I know there wasn't a ton of notice. I understand that. But why are we running to protect these people when it's the lowest since 1919. Not the lowest of the last couple of years. Not the lowest of the 21st century. No, the lowest, arguably, of all time. When it gets into that level, it's a little bit much. A lot. Of we got to talk about the game, but I wanted to start with that. Yeah, a lot a bit much. What I will also say is I know the fine folks of St. Pete are not nine to five, roll up your sleeve Monday to Friday people. Like there are a lot of retirees that can get out to the ballpark on a Tuesday. Um, the, the thing that jumps out to me with this is like, okay, yes, we're surprised at the number that came in. That 1919 date is jarring, but it's also Tampa and we knew that they wouldn't sell out. I think we know that. Um, Was it kind of crazy? Yes. But like if any ballpark was going to do this, it was going to be Tampa because even when the team is great, nobody shows up. Like with Oakland, when the team is great, people show up. Pittsburgh, when the team is great, people show up. Baltimore, kind of same thing. It it depends on quality of team. Tampa could be in a 115-win team, and people still aren't going to show up because of what has been laid out. Build that ballpark complex. What I like now is the new stadiums that are making their way into baseball. So the one that we're going to see in Vegas and the one we're going to see in St. Pete are the two lowest capacity stadiums that we've seen in baseball history. And the reason you do that, A, is because state-of-the-art and new requires luxury. Luxury requires more room. But also, 
it looks less shitty when it doesn't sell out like this. And, and there were just a lot of blue seats in the trop yesterday. And that, that wasn't fun to see. What was fun to see was Jordan Montgomery absolutely shove. Jaymont looked amazing. And I know we're going to talk about Evan Carter reaching base four times. And, you know, we can do a whole bunch of that. I thought glass now looked good in spurts. But he wasn't consistently on like Montgomery was for his entire outing. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, Jordan Montgomery stepped up on that mound and looked like a bona fide ace. And he has been, and we've said it on the show before, one of the most underrated pitchers in all of Major League Baseball because he's not the lefty like Shane McClanahan or Jesus Zardo, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, who's 97 with tons of movement. It's it's a lot of change-ups on the black. It's, you know, it's fastballs moving in and out. It's working through a lineup methodically. But the Rays also, they put up some garbage ABs. Now, we give credit to Jordan Montgomery, but I didn't think he had, like, the stat line looked great. It was a dominant performance, but I thought the Rays were over-aggressive. And then when you factor in that they made four errors on top of it, it was a really sloppy game by the Rays, coupled with the lowest attendance since 1919. It was just a really bad showing from a race team that won 99 games during the regular season and a race team that has been in the playoffs before. This hasn't been a bottom feeder team that just made the playoffs and has no fans. Okay. Race fans are quick to go to the comments. Like I know that they have plenty of fans out there and they deserve plenty of fans because they're a fantastic organization and there are so many fun good players on the team but the only player who showed up in that game was of course playoff randy who started his night with two hits and just keeps doing playoff randy things but overall i thought the rays looked bad but and we're i'm gonna talk about a bet in a minute i didn't think the rangers looked all that good either so we'll talk about it Glass now cut him up a little bit. Um, there were a couple of curveballs that Glass now threw in high pressure situations that we were texting back and forth about, and it was like, "Wow, this guy looks sharp." But Glass now has thrown in some bigger games. Tampa annually, we say, "Oh, look out for Tampa in the postseason." Here's the thing, man: the postseason is about stars, and, and I think that we learned that with the Phillies last year, and we learned that with the Astros. It's always going to be uh, a Kyle Tucker or a Jordan Alvarez or a Jose Altuve stepping up. For the Phillies, it was always going to be Bryce Harper. Like, you never really get the young, exciting guy break out, and I think Randy is the exception. And, of course, like there's going to be somebody that comments like, Jack, don't you remember this rookie had an amazing stretch? Like Jeremy Pena won World Series MVP. Like, okay, sure, but Jordan delivered the crushing blow. The question that I would ask people that are backing the Rays is who's going to deliver the crushing blow? Who's been there before? Because they lost to Cleveland last year and their offense looked anemic. They're always really good, but they're always really young and really inexperienced in pressure cooker situations. Like I love Isak Paredes more than the next guy. And I saw you put out what your hot take that he was going to win World Series MVP. And I love it. I still love it. And then. And then I retweeted it. I was like, that bet might have soured in six hours. (laughs) But what I love is like, you know, he can be the guy for them. 
But what I hate is he kind of has to be the guy for them. You know what I mean? Like a Yandy Diaz needs to be that guy and Isak Paredes needs to be that guy. They just don't have anybody that's proven it over the course of a postseason. I agree. They don't they don't have anybody that's proven it over a postseason. But at the same time, like these are younger guys with a ton, a ton of talent. Yandy Diaz was right there with Corey Seager for the batting title. I mean, this guy was one of the best hitters in the American League. He is a big reason why the Rays won 99 games. Isak Paredes can hit anybody at any given time. And we saw Isak Paredes have a phenomenal WBC. Right. So we know when the lights are shining. He can arrive. That's why it was such a weird game by the Rays. Four errors from this team. 0 for 4 from Yandy Diaz. Harold Ramirez didn't show up. Isak Paredes got one hit. Manuel Margot's kind of been doing 0 for 2 type things this entire year. Josh Lowe didn't play because it was against a lefty, but he's a big time bat. He'll be back against Ivaldi and a righty. Taylor Walls had a good day, but I mean, how many times have we seen Jose Siri? catch that ball in center field yeah. it's a tough play but it hit off his glove Yanni but Diaz making an error first like there was just so many unlikely raised things that happened and what I will say is I do have confidence in them in game two and I have the reason and yeah. what I did I put a half unit on the raise to win the series at plus 210 on bet MGM And the reason I did that was I thought if the Rangers bats looked phenomenal, okay, the Rays just can't beat the Rangers when their bats are hot, right? We've talked about it so many times. When the Rangers bats are cooking, they could win the World Series. But as a team, they had a 206 expected batting average. The Rays had a 227 expected batting average. Both bats didn't really look good, but the Rays bailed them out with four errors. I kind of related to football, right? And turnovers, interceptions, fumbles. Those things are kind of fluky and they don't go from game to game. But it'd be different if it was a Red Sox team who set the record for one of the worst defensive teams ever. But the Rays are not that team. They still have a great bullpen. Glass now looked, I think you said it perfectly, sharp at times. That Last curveball to Josh Young, which he struck out on. I thought that Gross. was one of the greatest pitches ever thrown. I mean, that was Gross. just Put that was diabolical. Down. Seriously, diabolical. So we got Eovaldi coming in with a 9.30 ERA in the month of September, coming off the injury against Eflin, who has been unbelievable this season, but even better at home. So if they can win game two, like Kevin Millar said, don't let us win tonight. And I wasn't impressed enough with the Rangers in game one to think that the Rays can't even the series and then win in game three. With that said, though, if the Rays bats are just dead because they no doubt did not look good yesterday, the series is over. Yeah, and they might be dead because they were dead for the wild card series last year in Cleveland and Oscar Gonzalez walked off a one nothing game in the 15th. I I thought you hit the nail on the head with Ivaldi. That guy had a nine and a half ERA in the month of September after coming back. He doesn't look good. Eflin looks awesome at the trop. Eflin looks like one of the better pitchers in the American League at the trop. If I had to set the odds on game two, Tampa's like a 400 favorite, a minus 400 favorite. Like, Tampa's winning game two. I already saw it happen. So game wow. three is what you're betting on, and, and at plus 210, I understand that. And it'd be it would be John Gray versus Aaron Savali, where and, and the Rays would probably be a favorite again. 
I guess at home, yeah, I guess. It's just a toss-up, and I think it comes down to the bullpens, and I have more faith in Tampa's bullpen than Texas's bullpen. So I do think that Tampa wins game two. It skews so heavily in favor of Tampa on the hill. If they can hit just enough, I think they can get it done in game two. But I also want to give credit to the Rangers because, you know, we're talking with Kendall. Shout out Kendall and Key in our Just Baseball group chat and has been great on the merch. And he's a great writer for us. And he's a big Rangers fan. And he says, I love us in game two. I think Eovaldi is going to bounce back because Eovaldi does have great numbers against the Rays. And our bats look good enough that we can hang with anybody, even if Eovaldi gives up some runs. And I was like, I kind of agree with you. That's why I put half unit on it, plus 210. It's more of a flyer to get me set up for a game three if they win this one. I could see Eovaldi flipping the switch. And how about Evan Carter? We heard about... Well, during the regular season, there looked like there was a hole. There was a blue zone up and out with high velocity. And I thought to myself, well, if Glassnow's throwing, and then you look at the Rays, well, this Rays team is the best at identifying the flaws and getting there. And I saw them trying to go up and away to Evan Carter. But then they barely missed, and he hits line drives into the outfield. This guy is so good. And while he might have a hole based on the blue zone, if you miss, he's going to hit the ball hard. And there was even that ground ball to Yandy Diaz that he hit. I think it was maybe for a double or a single. But that was a another tough pitch that he got to. I mean, he is just such a good player, and that's at the bottom of the order. I thought Leo Di Tavares put up a great A-B every single time he was up there. And then Corey Seager just keeps doing Corey Seager shit. So the Rangers, I want to be clear. It's plus 210 at a half unit. I'm not confident in the Rangers just laying down and losing this series. However, when we look at starting pitching matchups, I think the Rays have the edge. But again, the Rangers might just crush Zach Eflin because when they're hot, they're hot. Yeah, but they're not hot. So, I mean, you just said that. But they right? could get hot. They can. They absolutely can with a snap of a finger. My last thing on Carter is that guy looked so comfortable in his postseason debut. And there are very few guys that look that comfortable in their postseason debut. Um, The one that kind of has that lasting imprint on me is Xander Bogarts in 2013. Bogarts in 13, it was like full count every single plate appearance. And he looked so comfortable at the dish during the postseason. I, I hope we get to see that with Carter if they do win this series move on to um toronto and minnesota pablo lopez great outing are we really leading are we really leading with pablo lopez right now how about royce fucking lewis brother well i was gonna end with him i thought it was a cool ending go ahead all right sorry scrap it restart pablo lopez dice through a blue jays lineup when there were questions well, he hasn't been that good at home this year. Well, in his last outing against the Blue Jays, five innings, four earned. How is he going to fare without a lot of postseason experience? The fastball was 97. The sweeper was disgusting. Then the bullpen came in and did the job. Yoan Duran with the incredible entrance. I thought it was so diabolical that he was just throwing curveballs to start. Your whole game plan is... All right, we got to deal with 99 mile an hour splinkers and 103 mile an hour fuzzballs. No, nope. when you see his There's arm, a little bit yeah. of my curveball, and then he just flies in that 103 mile an hour fastball. On the offensive side, 
for the Twins. Wasn't that great. Edward Julian had some great at-bats. I thought Jorge Polanco did not. Carlos Correa added a hit of his own and a great defensive play to save a run. But the MVP of the game, the MVP, I think, of day one, Royce freaking Lewis. Hasn't played in two weeks, making his first game off an IL stint, basically playing on one hamstring. The Twins told him, don't run out the box too hard. We just need your bat in the lineup. And holy shit, they needed his bat in the lineup. Two bombs resulted in all of the runs that the Twins scored. Royce Lewis arrived on day one. I can't wait to see what he does game two. And the Blue Jays were very underwhelming. Couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. I don't think Gosman even pitched that poorly. I think the Twins just had some timely hits from Royce Lewis. Like he just got Royce Lewis. But the Blue Jays are in trouble here, Jack. That was way cooler ending with Royce Lewis than starting with Royce Lewis. Yeah, um, I'll eat crow. But yeah, like Royce was absolutely the MVP of day one. And I do think that the Blue Jays are in a lot of trouble. I've got no notes. Gosman threw well. I really do think that Gosman threw well. I can't even call them mistakes to Lewis. You can call a couple of those gopher balls mistakes if you want. But when that guy's hot, it doesn't matter who's throwing to him or what they're throwing to him. He's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And we learned that this year. We learned that in the back half of this year after he came back from injury from that torn ACL that he had last season. Um, I do think that they're in a world of shit. And Sonny Gray and Barrios, I think if anybody can go into let's finish the job mode that's left aside from Pablo Lopez, it is Sonny Gray. And Sonny Gray, I think, had one of the more underappreciated pitching seasons in Major League Baseball this year. Barrios, I think, went really underappreciated, too, because he got such a negative connotation attached to him after last year. This year was a total bounce back. He looks every bit worth that extension that he was handed by Toronto if he does this for the next four or five years. But Sonny is a guy that, like, I don't think many people were circling at all in this free agent class coming into the year or maybe even through the first month of the year. But then we get two months in and you realize this guy has an ERA at two and he's leading the American League in ERA and he's throwing like everything but the fastball at all times. I think Sonny is set up for a ton of success against a Blue Jays lineup that frankly looks lost right now. I agree. And to to the Blue Jays credit, at least, they did have some relative big time hits. Bobachet just stays hot. He's a problem for Minnesota. He's a problem for everyone. He is seriously one of the best basketball guys He's a in demon. Major League Baseball yeah. and will be for the next decade. Kevin Kiermaier had a big time hit. Chapman almost had a big time hit off Louis Varland. And when Rocco Baldelli put him in over every other reliever, when he could have brought in Thielbar in to face Kiermaier, but he gave Lopez the extra guy, even though Lopez does struggle against left-handed bats much more than right-handed. That's what I was saying at the beginning of the season. And I've been saying throughout it, and I said in our preview, I'm not a Rocco Baldelli guy. And I actually thought that John Schneider moved through his bullpen really, really well. Yeah, I thought he, he was aggressive with it. He was like, I'm playing the lefty-righty matchups, and he has so many weapons at his disposal, but I like that he was aggressive. 
I thought Rocco Baldelli got a little bit lucky with some of his decisions, but the Twins bullpen did shut the door, got the plays when needed, and shout out Michael A. Taylor for catching that in the outfield. But when I look at this, the rest of this series, I mean, we talked about on the preview with Arm and, and Foolish Baseball. I bet the Twins money on game one. I bet them to win the series, and I'm betting them game two, and I'm also betting the under because Barrios has some excellent numbers against the Minnesota Twins. He's also a former Minnesota Twin. So they're going to be looking in, not for revenge per se, but this is a big start for him. But at the same time, Sonny Gray not only has excellent numbers against the Blue Jays, but he's excellent at home. He's excellent during the day. He's just excellent. And we saw how good these bullpens are. I mean, I feel like every single guy that comes out of both pens, I have full confidence in. Griffin Jacks comes out yesterday in the eighth inning, immediate double to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you're saying, whoa, 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 the Blue Jays might get it here. Bang, 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 slider, done, sit down. Just floored. I mean, I knew he was a great reliever, but that was dominant. And then Durant comes in and it was actually over. I couldn't reiterate how over it was when that man stepped on the mound. He may Blue Jays still have great arms. It's gonna be I think it's gonna be a low scoring twins win. He may be the title holder going into next year because Felix Bautista is getting Tommy John surgery. Devin Williams crumbled, and I know we're gonna get to that in a moment, but going into next year, I think Yoan Duran might be the best reliever in baseball. He's up there. He's got an argument. He might be there, but see this postseason but yeah he's off to a good start we'll see um yeah just to wrap on this series game two i think goes to minnesota i think they finish the job tonight um it's funny like i want to shout out other twins hitters but there was nobody not much no. you know cray had a nice base hit kepler had a nice base hit but you know they were on the ground it was really just the royce lewis show and then edward julian just professional ABs. I said that in the first, I said it into our group chat after he worked a walk in the first, I was like, that was a gritty walk. That was a professional AB. And then he got hosed on a ball that was a foot inside on a Kevin Gosman splitter. And there's also, I really want to shout out this thread um, on Twitter that I reposted um, about Gosman and tipping pitches because I was seeing that discourse online and I was curious, but Chris Black, his Twitter username is down to black live sports producer, content creator, husband, dad, old man, athlete, but he really breaks it down. Well, tipping or not talking about pitch locations and the twins game plan against Kevin Gosman, not just yesterday, but moving forward. And in the past, if it's at your knees, just don't swing. And a lot of fans were wondering, is he tipping pitches? Because the takes that the twins had against that splitter were amazing right? They were just below the zone and they were still taking it. I think the twins just have a game plan against Gosman. Don't swing at anything at the knees because he's got to beat us on that low fastball. So I don't think he was tipping pitches based on that thread. When I was watching it, I didn't think he was tipping pitches. I just think the twins are built on not chasing, working good at bats. And that's why they're a good offense. That's why they're the number three offense in major league baseball in terms of WRC plus against right-handed pitching at home. They're just a good lineup. 
I also think if Gosman was tipping pitches, then multiple guys would have had good days, but it was one guy. That's what I'm saying. It was just Royce Lewis. It was just him. So like, yeah, let's put that to bed. Um, No, I think they probably went in with a plan of attack. Like, Hey, if you see the split coming, don't swing at it because it's one of the better pitches in baseball and you're probably going to get screwed. And regardless, everybody got screwed except Royce Lewis. Exactly. Uh, Diamondbacks versus Brewers. Dude, this was backwards. <laughs> like This was a game that unfolded in a way that I was not anticipating whatsoever. Corbin Carroll going yard would have made my bingo card. That might have been it. Gabby Moreno hitting a nuke was not there. I was thinking, hey, maybe he split some outfielders the other way. This guy is a bat-to-ball catcher. He's not like, let me hit a 450-foot homer, but that thing, I test, made it go 520 feet. Um, Gabby went bridge. Like That was crazy. Fott was a tightrope act. And that was so hard to watch. My shoulders were so tense. But the fact that they beat Corbin Burns with Brandon Fott as the starting pitcher is a tip of the cap to what they had going on in that bullpen, man. Joe Mantiply got the dub. Kevin Ginkle was nails. Paul Seawald slammed the door. The young bats showed up. I did not think Arizona was going to beat Milwaukee, but now we're looking at the D-backs up one nothing. Now we're looking at the D-backs up one nothing, and I could have seen it just because the Diamondbacks had been able to hit Corbin Burns before, but they jumped on him. I mean, that Corbin Carroll home run, he is just simply a superstar. I mean, he is he looked like the best player on the field over Corbin Burns, if that makes sense. Yes. Like he was the superstar on the field in game one against the Brewers team who was first place in their division and was really a solid team all season long. But Corbin Carroll two for three in this first game and then Christian Walker as well. The whole offense. It wasn't just Gabby Moreno too, even though of course he had the big time home run, but could tell Marte as well. And then how about the game from Evan Longoria looking like he's 25 out there looking like Tampa Bay Rays, Evan Longoria. I've never seen a crowd. Well, I have probably, but the way the crowd quieted when Evan Longoria made that snag at third and then turned it for a double play stuck the air right out of the building. In real time, it was, it wasn't a murmur. It was like, Build up, build up, build up, crack of the bat, a slight up, and then as soon as he makes that catch, pin drop silence, out number two, somehow gets more quiet than that. Longo Longo being good in that moment was really fun. Um, that was nostalgic, I guess, because Longo on that young team is a great wrinkle to have it's, Hey, you've got like the old curmudgeon in Evan Longoria. And then you've got Corbin Carroll and Gabby Moreno over here. And you've got a starter who's starting his first postseason game after like 15 mediocre big league starts this year. So the the fact that they did have a veteran presence there and it wasn't Christian Walker, like Evan Longoria being good for that young, exciting team was funny. And I, I loved it. 
So I posted on Twitter that I was worried about how the Diamondbacks bullpen would perform in a short series, just in the playoffs in general. And what did they do? Six and a third innings of scoreless baseball. Now, with that said, I understand there's context to scoreless baseball. The Brewers left a lot of runners on base. I thought as a team, they actually hit pretty well if you uh, discount scoring runs. Not scoring runs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. William Contreras went two for four. Yelich went one for three with two walks. Right, Carlos Santana had a hit. The only guy who didn't have a hit in the lineup that started was Mark Cannon, went 0 for 4, and Bryce Terang, who went 0 for 1 with a walk, and then was pinch hit by Jesse Winker and, and Monasterio, then subbed in to play second base. But Tyrone Taylor had a hit. Donaldson went 2 for 4. Willie Adamas went 3 for 4. You know, and Sal Freelick went 2 for 5. So the offense showed up. They just didn't show up in the right moments. So I still have concerns about the Diamondbacks bullpen, but I'm not as concerned as I was because, like you said as well, Mantiply did look good. Ginkle struck out the side. That guy was nasty, and then we nasty. saw his celebration just so fired up. And one other thing. Now, I'm just a dude sitting behind a mic, and Ryan Thompson is Evan Longoria's teammate. But when Evan Longoria made that snag, you could see his mouth go, let's go, Evan. Evan? Do people call him Evan? He's Longo. I mean, I'm not sure his wife calls him Longo. <laughs> I know, but I was just surprised Ryan Thompson was like, let's go, Evan. I just felt weird to me. Not everybody it might be what everybody call calls him, Longo, him. man. Like, yeah, not everyone needs to call him Longo, like, your Peter, I just thought it was your funny. Papple, your Apple, you've got all these nicknames. I just thought it was funny. I just I thought it. in that moment he was so excited. You said, "Let's go, Evan." I don't I know. It. That's his I friend it Evan. Funny. It's not his yeah, friend Longo. It it's not. It's not the one he got the autograph from when he first shared a clubhouse with him. Um, did you? What do you think? think? Jo- yeah. Oh, go ahead. Did you think Josh Donaldson was going to have a multi-hit day in the postseason this year? Of course not. <laughs> Of course, well, of course so he is. Stupid, bro. It's so weird. Like he's gonna have a big homer tonight, and this is gonna be a mood point. But Josh Donaldson going two for four in a postseason game was uh, certainly something that I wasn't necessarily thinking when we hit the trade deadline. I will say I don't think this series is over. I am more confident in the Rays now pulling the upset, but I still think the Brewers have a shot here because I think Freddie Peralta will pitch well. I still think the Brewers have the bullpen advantage, right? I know Devin Williams didn't pitch well. He looked terrible. They still got got Abner Uribe, and I know he didn't look good, but I could see him bouncing back. He's still Devin Williams. Like, it could have just been a rough day. And at the end of the day, it didn't even matter that he was bad because the Diamondbacks already had the lead, and the Brewers just stalled at three runs anyway. Hmm. Devin threw a ton of pitches. He will be throwing with... uh, not a hundred percent. Like I wasn't going to say he's going to be like, you know, not up because he absolutely will be up in game two. Cause you have to be, but he just looked really, really bad. Um, and, and that stinks because Devin Williams never really looked really, really bad at any point this year. I don't think there was a single outing where you can look at and say, wow, this guy walked three and he didn't look confident whatsoever. Um, counterpoint while Peralta is exciting. You know Gallon's numbers against Milwaukee this year? Extremely good. 
14 innings, six hits, one run. But he does have struggles on the road, and the Diamondbacks have seen him a lot. I could see him dominating. But in a low-scoring game, I could see the Brewers winning that one, and then in game three, anything can happen. Like, while Gallon is amazing... Yeah, but Freddie you gotta, is also fantastic. And you, but you have to remember that game three is not Woodruff. But it's also like it's Kelly. And Kelly's good, but also an ERA over four on the road. And the Brewers are known to be a very good sinker hitting team. The Brewers should be able to hit him, and then they have the bullpen advantage. And in game three, it's like, yeah, we could say Kelly should shove. But we were also saying Burns could shove. Yeah, and Fott was going to get demolished. And Fott, it was, what, seven hits in three get... innings? But I mean, it was a great effort, I thought, out of him. Um, but, I mean, it was disappointing, right? We want to see a young pitcher like that grab hold of an opportunity and take it in stride. Like, even if he pitched relatively well, right? Let's say he goes four innings, one run, or something like that. There's a lot of confidence moving in for him next year. After that type of performance and the year that he's had, and I know we look better at the very tail end of the year, but there was a couple stints there where he definitely did not. I don't really know what to think about him moving forward, right? There's a lot of numbers, pitch modeling, that says, yeah, he's going to be a good pitcher. His minor league data, where he's striking out the world, basically pitching on the moon out there in Reno, says he's going to be a good pitcher. He's got the body for it. He's got a good pitch mix, but there's something there that isn't working. And we'll dive into that this offseason. But overall, I think the Brewers are live in this series. Am I that confident in them? Not really. I'm the least confident of them at this point, but I still think they're live. I don't think the Diamondbacks, while they did win by three runs, I don't think they dominated that game. I think the Brewers left a lot to be desired on the base pass. And if they can just knock a few in, I think they can win game two. And then in game three, anything can happen. I think Arizona puts it away because Zach Gallen goes into kill mode. I think this guy has smelled success against Milwaukee twice this year. And he's got a recipe and he's going to attack. And he coughed up the Cy Young in August, I'd say. Steele coughed it up in September. I think Gallen may truly believe that he was the best pitcher in the National League this year, and this is a great opportunity to prove that he was the best pitcher in the National League this year. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Brewers win game two, and then they win game three, because that would be more fun. And I can see it happening. I don't think it's I don't think it's foolish. Do I truly believe in it? I'm very unsure, but I'm not putting it out, out of the realm of possibility. Now, here's a series that the Phillies only won by three runs. The series is over. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Marlins lose game two. But what it means is they ain't winning two in a row. That crowd is unlike anything in Major League Baseball. The bank was rocking. I think that's the story of this game. We can talk about Wheeler, and we will. We can talk about some big-time hits. Yeah. We could talk about Trey Turner going two for two on stolen bases when he was perfect in the regular season. We'll talk about all of it. But that crowd, God, I love Red October. Every single time. 
I said on Twitter, I'm a red October guy. Every time there is something about watching the Phillies game where it's overwhelming for the opposition. It's like the 12th man in Seattle for Seahawks games, except I think it's as big, if not more. They are rocking. It's got to be so hard to win in Citizens Bank. And when the Phillies have this offense, I just cannot see the Marlins winning two in a row. I could see them getting a good start out of Garrett, inching out a win, because this is a big-time start for Nola. This is a, are you going to be back on the Phillies type start? Because he's a free agent after the year. This is a Phillies career defining start, and he's gotten beat up by the Marlins before. So I would not be surprised if the Marlins won game two. Ranger, where the Marlins were split is against lefties, and that crowd, I cannot see them losing game three, especially with no Sandy. I decided where I sit on Aaron Nola. I figured out the proper way to vocalize my thoughts on Nola. Aaron Nola's reliability comes in his availability. It doesn't come in his results. Um, I think that this guy is pretty unreliable on a start-by-start basis. The thing that you know is that he can give you 100 pitches every time he takes the ball. And there's so much value in that. And I think that that guy is bordering on a $100 million pitcher for that reason alone. I want that guy throwing 200 innings a year for me. But he had two amazing starts to start last postseason and then three really rough starts to end the postseason. We branded them as this like two-horse thing that you got at the front of the rotation. But Wheeler was American Pharaoh and Nola was like the 15 to one horse in the Kentucky Derby. He was middle of the field, you know, like, okay, co-aces. No, no, no. Zach Wheeler's the ace. Nola's just always there and Nola's good. Nola's really talented. Some of his pitches are really good by the metrics. And he is a three, five ERA guy when it's all right, but he was a four guy this year. And he can get tagged for six earned in five innings. And that's what Miami's done to him the last two times. I think it's 15 hits, nine runs in the last 10 and a third in two starts against the Marlins over the last couple months. The Marlins can get to Aaron Nola. He's not Zach Wheeler. Braxton Garrett, I love when you describe pitchers as you blink and they're in the seventh. I think that's what you said about Merrill Kelly. Braxton Garrett, I blink and he's in the seventh. Yep. And that can be what happens. I think that the Marlins win tonight. But here's a like a hot take, I guess. Um, and I'm not trying to make any friends here. I love the Philly fan base. I, I sneaky I sneaky enjoy the Eagles fan base. I know people view them as unbearable. I like the Eagles fan base. They're way more enjoyable for me than the Patriots fan base. Um, but the Phillies fan base, man. They just fucking care about baseball. And I love that they care about baseball and they try and sneak alligators into the ballpark as emotional support animals. And I'm all in on that. Um, I'm not an Embiid guy, but I appreciate what the Sixers fans are doing. (laughs) I'm a big, I'm a big Philly in the postseason guy. Um, And I do think that the Marlins sneak away with game two, but game three on vibes alone, Philly takes this series. And I wouldn't even be surprised if the Phillies win this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Nola comes in and pitches really well. Like Braxton Garrett might pitch really well, but the Phillies then have the bullpen advantage. And then the game is over and you're in the bank, right? 
And the noise is incredible that the Phillies fans create. But I think more than anything and why we're attracted to this fan base is the identity that they have formed. It's us against the world. Nobody likes us. It's just about us. And this identity has made them such a cohesive unit. And that unit can go in and beat any team on any given day. And then if they have a couple advantages on their side, they're going to win the ball game. Now, I am the most excited series for me is Phillies Braves. If it gets there, which I think it will, because I think the Phillies either close it out today or close it out tomorrow. It's different with the Brewers, Diamondbacks, Rays, Rangers, where I think if the Rays get through, they have the advantage in game three. And if the Brewers get through, I don't see major advantages. So it's kind of like a coin flip game. Philly, I have more faith in Ranger Suarez in this playoff setting than I do Aaron Nola. So I love that they have him in the background. And then this cohesive identity in a must-win game is only going to be exaggerated when we watch that. The noise is going to be as loud as possible. It's going to be even louder than game one. The pregame hype videos, they're probably wear all black. Like, this is a team that it goes beyond what's on the field. This is a team with an incredible identity, with a great manager. I love that Rob Thompson let Wheeler get through that. Now, they had to pull him in the end because he was up over 100 pitches, and they're going to need him. But I like how they didn't take him out at the first sign of distress when Josh Bell hit that double because that wasn't out there. That ground ball where I forget who beat it out. Was it um, Was it? Brian De La Cruz or someone beat out that ground ball to get to first, right? That set up first and third, but that wasn't out. Like he, sh- he could have gotten out that inning. It's just, it was in between because Wheeler didn't get to the bag, but I love that Rob Thompson did that. They all believe in each other. And you got Bryce Harper as the captain of this team, but then Superman and Trey Turner just keeps doing his thing, right? Cause Harper's the leader, but he still only went one for four, but how about Cassianos doing a job? How about Trey Turner? Boom with a big hit, right? Pache got a hit. Stott got a hit. Rojas just continues to be so pesky at the bottom of that lineup. And then Schwarber, of course, leads off the game with a hit. I don't know if I mentioned Bryson Stott yet, but he also got a hit. Like, they're just, they're so deep from top to bottom. And when you got Bryce Harper, and if Trey Turner is hot, this team is so dangerous. Is is Trey Turner a, a big moment guy? Is he officially a big moment guy? How can he not be a big moment guy? He was the king of the WBC, but I don't know. I know I guess... in the in the World Series before the or not in the World Series the playoffs before, you know, he's made some tough errors. He hasn't been great offensively to play, but I'm saying right now, I'm just wondering Trey if Turner's 20, a big moment guy. Like I don't know, we have 162 regular season games, but you know, the the eight or nine games that we got to see from Trey Turner in the WBC were amazing. And then, you know, here we go. We got one wild card game where he looks like he's one of the catalysts for the Phillies. If he has a good postseason, he might just be like a, a big, a big moment guy. I think he's a big moment guy. So do you have anything on the Marlins? Like I do want to shout out Josh Bell. I think he had a phenomenal day at the plate. Every at bat was competitive and it led to a couple of hits for him. He went three for four with two doubles. Jesus Sanchez added a hit. Brian De La Cruz and Jake Berger as well. 
but Luis Arias limping around, that ankle is a problem. And we saw it in his last at-bat, but, I mean, he's just so incredible with the bat. The fact yeah. that he can get to 99 miles an hour in from a lefty and Jose Alvarado, who's just beaming down on guys. Like, it's one thing to throw 99. It's another thing to be 6'4", 260 with that extension of his from the left side facing a lefty. Such a good piece of hitting, but he's hobbling down to first. They should have pinch ran for him. Imagine if he had to burn it to third. He might injure that ankle even more. Tough game for the Marlins. I just, I cannot see them winning two in a row. And because of that, they will win two in a row because that would be the most baseball thing of all time. I'm sure. I'm totally sure. Yeah, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have anything really positive to say about the Marlins. Lizardo looked solid, um, but they just ran into like the worst guy to run into if I want to have positive takeaway in Zach Wheeler. It's impossible to have a positive takeaway for an offense that opposes Zach Wheeler in the postseason. So that's kind of where I stand. Um, I do think they get a win tonight in game two, but I I had a, there's there's a woman, Alexa Ross, works as a local sports reporter in Indianapolis, and she's from Philly. She went to Temple. She said, I would give several organs to be at Citizens Bank Park right now. And I think that perfectly embodies the Philadelphia Philly fan base. Um, I don't think that fan base can lose a game three. So I, I do think that this is Phillies in three. Arm will be at the game. I'm And I'm really hoping, really hoping the Marlins win game two so I can be at game three. I was DMing with some Phillies fans last night. Because uh, they were all fired up, and I kept tweeting about the Phillies, and I was fired up for Red October. Because again, I'm a Red October guy. Yeah. And they kept saying, "This is this is the start for Nola Phillies money line, Pete. Hammer us. We're gonna win Game Two. And I'm like, I think you might win Game Two as well, but there's no fucking shot of betting on it. I want you guys to lose so I could go to Game Three at Citizens Bank. Now I'm gonna go to the series against the Braves if they do win." But I really want to see a game three. I really want to see a decided game in Citizens Bank. And I think they win that one. And I think it's going to be insanely rowdy. And we're going to cover it here on the Just Baseball Show. We went over game one, previewed game two. And we will be back tomorrow to do the same thing. If there's any winner to take all games, somehow, nope, it can't be possible for all the series to be over. Well, yes, it could. Dimebacks win. Brewers win, Twins win, and the Phillies win. We'll be previewing the ALDS and the NLDS here on the Just Baseball Show. Get yourself some Just Baseball merch. It's right in time for the playoffs. Why not, right? Why not? Get yourself a hat. Get yourself a t-shirt. All right? It's in the episode description. And if you enjoyed this, if you could rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, five stars, maybe a written review, and subscribe on YouTube. Hit the like button and comment who you think is going to win or if anything we said was crazy and you disagree, or if you agree. That's Jack McMullen. I'm Peter Apple. We are brought to you by BetMGM. And with that, thank you, everybody.